Thank you so much for your love, for the hospitality that you continue to show my family and me, and for all of the ways that we get to be church together. I really love you all so much. As we tune into the gospel lesson, as well as the sermon, I invite you to hear a distinction in my enunciation between kingdom and kingdom. I hope you can hear the difference. When Pilate and others speak of Jesus' rule, I use kingdom. When Jesus speaks of it, I use kingdom. I hope you'll understand as we proceed. And so now I invite you to listen to this story because it's amazing. It's from John chapter 18, verses 33 through 38. Listen up. Then Pilate entered the headquarters again, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you ask this on your own, or did others tell you about me? And Pilate replied, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests have handed you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not from this world. If my kingdom were from this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. But for this I was born and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate asked him, what is truth? Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's circle back to 1992. And for this, you will need the cover of your bulletin. In 1992, there was the wonderful film, A Few Good Men, which earned critical acclaim for its famous courtroom scene. Now, here's the setup, and yes, I am going to spoil the plot, given the fact that this movie is nearly 20 years old. I hope that's okay. Lieutenant Daniel Coffey, played by Tom Cruise, is somewhat of a joke lawyer. Too lazy to bother entering a courtroom, he is known for his perpetual plea bargains. However, in this case where two Marines are accused of killing a colleague at Guantanamo Bay, Coffey's team is headed by Lieutenant Colonel Joe Galloway, Demi Moore, who begins to uncover many facts that point to foul play at the hand of Colonel Nathan Jessup, played by Jack Nicholson. Do you remember this? This stubborn dance between Tom Cruise and Demi Moore and Jack Nicholson? While Coffey is learning that maybe he is cut out for trial work after all and likes being in the courtroom. He is persuaded by Galloway that perhaps there was a military order gone wrong. Colonel Jessup did, in fact, order a code red, which is a military term to connote an illegal hazing. At this time, Jessup's code red command killed two Marines, or two Marines killed their partner. Now, Coffey wants proof. As he interrogates Jessup on the stand, things heat up, and people start yelling, and there are objections, and the judge is threatening contempt as he he hammers his gavel, and the bailiffs are on the move, ready to handcuff Coffey for disorderly contact. Yet Coffey persists, yelling feverishly for Jessup to just answer his question. 
The two men are screaming each other at each other at this point. And Jessup retorts, you want answers? Here's where you look at your bulletin. Coffee says, I'm entitled to them. Jessup says, you want answers? I want the truth. Say it with me. You can't handle the truth. After shouting it, Jessup confesses, in fact, to ordering the code red that did kill their fellow Marine. It's tense, it's dramatic, it's captivating. Now follow me to another courtroom. Pontius Pilate's ancient Roman headquarters, and Jesus is being arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. Peter has denied him three times. And the high priest Caiaphas has Jesus in custody, but is forbidden by Jewish law to kill him. So instead, Caiaphas takes Jesus to Pilate's headquarters. And Pilate is the tyrannical governor of Rome, the one who ultimately orders the crucifixion. And after an initial inquisition, Pilate tells Caiaphas there isn't anything he can do to prosecute Jesus. It's a religious matter, not a political one. But what's different about this Bible courtroom scene than the one in the movie is that Jesus, even though he is the one on the stand, controls the line of questioning. We might wonder who is prosecuting who. Even though Pilate is mocking Jesus' reign with a purple robe and pressing a crown of thorns onto his head, Jesus refuses to take up the royal scepter to conquer the day. Instead, with another tactic, Jesus tells Pilate, you say that I am a king. For this I was born, and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice, and Pilate sardonically responds, what is truth? Wonder with me, what is truth? And can we handle it? Do you know Elizabeth Lesser? She co-founded the Omega Institute, has two amazing TED Talks, is a best-selling author and part of Oprah's Super Soul Collective. Her latest book, Cassandra Speaks, opens with the brilliant story of, yes, Cassandra. Lesser tells the story like this. Cassandra was a beautiful princess from the city of Troy. As such, she had many suitors, both mortal and immortal. Zeus, the king of the gods, was after Cassandra, and so was Zeus's son, Apollo. To woo her, Apollo gave her something only a god could give, the coveted gift of seeing into the future. But when he tried to seduce her, Cassandra refused his advances, and this enraged Apollo. Instead of just taking the gift of prophecy away, he grabbed her, he spat in her mouth, and he put a curse on her. You will remain clairvoyant, Cassandra, but now no one will listen to you. No one will believe your predictions. So no matter what she foresaw, from the sacking of Troy to the death of her brothers to the multiple tragedies that would befall her people, no one believed Cassandra. She was eventually driven mad by knowing the truth and being doubted when she spoke it. The gaslighting was so bad she lost her mind. Elizabeth Lesser argues that Cassandra's reality is relived on a daily basis by folks around the world. Do you know contemporary Cassandras? 
Perhaps you identify in this moment with Cassandra. She represents those of us speaking our truth, our own truth, truth to power, truth in the public square, truth as close as being at home. And because of the truth-telling, there are consequences. And so here I want to share a few examples with you. Today, as Nancy has already prayed and as Lily will share more with us later in the service, we recognize Transgender Day of Remembrance. It is an opportunity to name those who have been killed on account of their gender identity. The day gives us pause and invites us to wonder what truth our siblings here were killed for speaking. And why can the world not handle it? I'm thinking about the Me Too movement the uprising of women and non-binary folks who are coming out against sexual harassment and violence by sharing their personal narratives. Desperate to be heard and believed as a collective, we are seeking to speak truth, and still many struggle to handle it. I serve on two boards right now, one regional and one national. Both are struggling to uphold equity and diversity in our efforts to be inclusive. We board members talk about it regularly. We make efforts to diversify our recruitment, and yet still we are dominated by a white cisgender heterosexual agenda. Whose truth is silenced in our lack of diversity? What do our institutions need to change in order to make space for members from oppressed communities? And just this week, we learned of the acquittal of Kyle Rittenhouse in the aftermath of his shooting at a protest in Kenosha, Wisconsin. He killed two and wounded others. What truth was lost in this court case? Charles Blow in the New York Times wonders why it was on the prosecutors to defend Rittenhouse's guilt instead of the other way around. Was the truth lost in this verdict? There are so many social issues that exist because we cannot handle the truth of the matter. Cassandra's, our truth-telling in the face of denial, is not just systemic, though, is it? Pilate's question, what is truth, can hit at the very core of who we are. Do you know your truth? Do you experience the pain of being silenced? And so what is your truth? That part of you that not to speak it threatens your well-being. Even as it requires such vulnerability and risk to share it with the world, our truth is those intricate and intimate parts of who we are and who God created us to be. So that even in the face of great odds or tremendous fear, when these parts of us come to the surface, it can be scary or disorienting, but also refreshing and liberating because there is a truth guiding us and sustaining us. We can try to ignore our truth, or we can push it away, or we can compartmentalize our daily work to keep the truth about who we really are at bay. But at the end of the day, when we rest our head on our pillow, if we have not found ways to be authentic, the stress eats away at us. Do you know this internal conflict? This pain of wanting to be known but often misunderstood or dismissed or even ridiculed. Jesus understands it well. And so does Pilate, I believe. I suspect it could be why he retorts to Jesus, what is truth? 
And so this is the irony for Pilate in this story. Truth was staring Pilate in the face all along. I think he knew it and he couldn't handle it. Jesus on the stand knew that Pilate couldn't handle it. And so Jesus keeps it vague and delusive because after all, the truth is Jesus. The teachings and the personhood of Jesus as they point to the creator are precisely what is true. And so we see here that Jesus is not a king ruling a mighty kingdom, overthrowing the earthly powers of government to trumpet victoriously through the land with a military brigade. It's not an earthly kingdom. And it's not a political kingdom. Nor is it a kingdom of success and monetary wealth built upon the backs of the poor by those in power. Rather, the truth is the one who invites us into a kingdom the beloved family of God. Jesus' kingdom offers warm reception with love and mercy, justice and liberation, a location that when we enter, we drop our defenses, we take off those masks that convince us we are okay even when we aren't, those masks that might suffocate us, and instead we find a place of deep, deep belonging. Jesus leads a kingdom It is a kingdom of God's children. It is a kingdom of light and hope. It is a kingdom of grace and perpetuity. It is a kingdom of peace and inclusion, hospitality. It is a kingdom of another world, and it is the kingdom to which we are all invited. Regardless of age or social status, wealth or gender, orientation or ethnicity, ability or disability, all that matters in God's kingdom. And remember, this is the truth is that we show up. That we know the invitation is not just for our institutions that need saving and our own court systems that fail to honor justice, but for you and for me too. So that when we know the truth, the one who God loves, the one who points the way back to God, the one who saves and redeems, the one who forgives and makes crooked paths straight, the one who points to a world beyond the constraints and limitations of present realities, this one, this Jesus, this prophet, this truth calls out to each of us, come, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Come. We might hear Jesus say, come and share your truth as I embody my truth. We can handle it in this kingdom. Yes, it might be a lot, but you can handle it because you follow me and I am it and I am in you. The truth you seek is within you and right in front of you. Church, take a moment to listen to this voice of welcome and acceptance. Imagine the freedom to remove the facade of who we are or who we strive to be so that the authentic being that lies within us is made known. Rest in this invitation to know the divine light. This is the truth. This is your God-given truth. Finally, I wonder what is our truth, Highland Baptist? How can we speak it knowing that it might be to a world that isn't ready to handle it? 
But knowing that the ultimate truth is right in front of us, loving us, bringing us to justice, healing us, honoring our stories, restoring our soul, welcoming us back from pain, clearing away our shame, ready to tap into our gifts and our passions. What is our truth in Jesus as a congregation, as faithful followers of Jesus? This worship service marks the final Sunday in the liturgical year. And as we prepare next week to adorn our sanctuary for Advent, just as we prepare our hearts to make room for the Holy Child, our triumphal shouts of today crown him with many crowns, give way to the melody of silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Do you see the irony and the paradox that Pilate couldn't? Truth is not certainty or fact or verifiable scientific laws. Truth is not the death penalty like Pilate gave to Jesus, nor is it the perfectionism or success that we place upon ourselves. The truth, capital T, the truth is right here, both up here in our reign of Christ's window, which I invite you to turn and look at it, just as the truth next week will be in the manger which appears on our Advent banner hanging right up here. And so when we learn to live in this tension between the window this week and the banner next week, we learn to hold space for the already not yet. We learn to squeeze into the pangs of unknowing and the vulnerability and the compassion of healing. We find that indeed the truth is what sets us free. Truth sets us free to speak even if we are not believed. Free to live as oneself in our God-given ways even in the face of death. Free to be yourself, knowing that each of us is created in a divine image to live and to move and to have our being in this truth that Pilate just couldn't handle. We can handle the truth, my friends. For we are the beloved children of God. We are followers of Jesus. We are those who abide in the holy presence of God's mystery. So be brave, be bold, be fabulous, be you, and God's truth and mercy will find us here. Amen.